0: Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, this is Connor, and you're listening to, yes, another episode of Film Talks. And this week, I'll be discussing comedy duos, and my personal favorite, Simon Pegg and Nick Frost. Now, I sort of knew that this was going to attract people from all age groups. Uh, What I was not expecting, however, was how many of you were actually trying to pass off ensembles as duos. Like, come on, people. Seinfeld is not a duo, it doesn't count. Same thing with Always Sunny, you guys should know better. But with enough prodding, I think uh, I got everyone to choose their favorite duo, even if that meant pulling them out of an ensemble. So to list them off, I got some older ones like Abbott and Costello, Andy and Barney from the Andy Griffith Show, I got uh, two partners, actually, for Carol Burnett, because one wasn't good enough, I guess, in Tim Conway and Harvey Korman. Uh, then we had some more recent ones, like Mac and Dennis from Always Sunny, Adam Sandler and Drew Barrymore, and Seth Rogen with James Franco. All really great ones. I'll be honest, some of these older selections I had to watch some clips on, but they all got, they all got a, a few chuckles out of me, at the very least. So, what did I notice in these selections, right? Well, for starters, I think in the case of Abbott and Costello, I'm going to start with uh, the uh, oldest, I guess. And this was suggested by my Grammy and dad. And uh, in them, I think we see the basics of what it means to be a successful comedy duo. Uh, Just look at the classic, who's on first bit that they basically made famous. Costello, always the straight actor, is uh, within this skit the manager of a baseball team and Abbott is trying to learn who the players on the team are. Now, Abbott may talk fast, he may sound confident, but time after time, he's made to look stupid. And that's where most of their comedy comes from. Uh, When Costello says, who's on first, for instance, instead of Abbott asking different questions to understand the predicament, he continues to dig himself into a hole, only getting angrier and angrier at the fact that He's not understanding who is on first because it seems like Costello was duping him when in reality the first baseman's name is first uh, A very famous bit, but it mirrors their style and I think it's a style that is repeated a lot You have a well-dressed Skinnier guy who plays the mature serious role and then you have the shorter fat guy who plays the goofy role and that combo of goofy and serious can lead to dysfunction in the group, which hopefully leads to laughs. And for the most part, it's it's kind of the serious guy kind of observing the the doopy guy and just hoping he fails, I guess, in many ways. Uh, but you even see this dynamic in modern-day duos, like with James Franco and Seth Rogen, suggested by my brother Brennan. Uh, very... Uh, you, you would assume very different from Abbott and Costello, but there, there are some similarities. Um, however, they flip the dynamic, actually, with James Franco, uh, the more attractive and typically more dramatic actor, playing the goofy role, and Seth Rogen, the chubby, routinely goofy guy, playing the more serious role. Uh, whether it's Pineapple Express, This is the End, or The Interview, James Franco is always the one doing stupid things, with Seth Rogen reacting to however Franco's dumb actions negatively affect himself. For instance, in This is the End, James Franco is about to be accepted into heaven after sacrificing himself for his friends to a cannibalistic Danny McBride. But just as he's being raptured, he decides to flip off McBride, and this insult, I guess, uh, takes back the good deed that he did, so God drops him back down to earth. Uh, while negatively affecting Rogan, as Franco's sacrifice failed, leading to the cannibals chasing after Rogan. Right, so he was trying to sa- he was trying to uh, distract McBride, the cannibal, and his, his and his buddies, so that Rogan could escape. But because Franco failed, now the cannibals are chasing Rogan. Altogether, Franco and Rogan may have the dramatic versus the goofy in their films, but they are definitely more inclusive of crass slapstick humor compared to Abbott and Costello, who frequently utilized wordplay to get their laughs. I don't think this is any surprise. Franco and Rogan are very, uh, explicit, let's just say, and Abbott and Costello, very not explicit. I think you can show Abbott and Costello to most age groups. Um... Another duo who utilized more smart humor would be Andy and Barney from The Andy Griffith Show. Now, this suggestion from Marie Sheeve seemed a bit daunting. uh, Because I have literally never seen The Andy Griffith Show. I know, shocker. But after watching a couple of their scenes together, they definitely channeled a lot of that straight shooter alongside a goofy character. Like, that whole routine. Uh, It actually, though, felt... Less like the duo as I've described before and more like a Kramer and Jerry Seinfeld relationship You see Barney is a character who seems to be the one who thinks he's smart, but he's kind of wound up a bit too tight and He's not that smart again while Andy plays the role of someone who just wants to see how wound up Barney can get I think what Barney sort of adds to the Costello role is that he plays the goofy goofy guy, right? But he's less doofus and more mad scientist who always thinks he's struck gold with an idea and then falls flat on his face. A good, uh, a good example of this is when Barney tries to recite the preamble of the U.S. Constitution uh, for Andy after saying he remembers every word of it. So he pulls out a book, He's like he shows it to Andy, and he's like, "Yep, uh, you'd be surprised what you can remember." And he's like, uh, "I can recite the entire entire preamble and all that stuff." But then, just as he's about to start, he conveniently can't remember a single word, and it's a it's a lot of that, you know. Give me a line. What what's the next part? Uh, yeah, I don't really remember. And uh, that's that's basically that vibe that's going there. So whereas. I think Costello wouldn't even go that far. I think Barney and Kramer alike, they're that, you know, they got that wild idea that they're gonna just pitch out of left field. And they kind of make you, the viewer, think that they know what they're doing, but then you kind of get reminded, yeah, they're kind of a doofus. Um, And this dynamic definitely feels familiar when you're watching It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, a suggestion from Dan Riddell. Now, Dan specifically chose Mac and Dennis after some prodding. Again, he was one of those people that said, how about all, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia? That That's an ensemble, Dan. We're talking about duos. And I think Mac and Dennis are pretty perfect uh, because this is also a slightly new take on a comedic duo. They bring their own little flavor to things. Again, the formula that we've seen be successful is you have one dramatic character and one goofy character but in this case mac is definitely the doofus of the two but dennis who should be the dramatic one and is played dramatically doesn't just react to mac's stupidity he also has dumb moments himself there's one specific episode where mac and dennis get a home in the suburbs I really love this episode, and they make a bet with their friends that they can last a month outside of the city. In this episode, you get the brilliant doofishness of Mac making Mac's famous mac and cheese every day, for it only to be revealed at the end of the episode he's just been making essentially craft mac and cheese from a box, and it's a it's a big whole thing because Mac decides you know he's going to be staying at home, and there's there's another bit where there's a. Uh, A smoke detector that needs its battery replaced so it's constantly beeping and he's like freaking out over it and he's like Dennis do you hear that and Dennis is like no no I don't hear it and then at the end obviously Dennis is like I've heard it the whole time it's it's pretty good I can't really do it justice but alongside Mac you get to see Dennis try to adapt to commuting through heaps of traffic into the city and I'm sure you can tell where this is going to go he unleashes a plethora of terrible words at all the bad drivers around him he essentially goes insane and that's what makes dennis hilarious his character honestly believes he's better than everyone else in the group but he's just as crazy as the rest of them interestingly enough though there there is still more that can be added to a comedic duo and that's body language. We haven't really talked about body language. It's the stuff you might see out of Mr. Bean, who obviously is body language because he doesn't use his mouth. And that's his whole shtick. And if we were talking about solo comedy acts, he'd probably be at the top. But we're talking duos here. And I thought that Carol Burnett and Tim Conway or Carol Burnett and Harvey Korman best utilized this method of comedy. Uh, these duos, compliments of my mom and Aunt Beth, were mostly seen in sketch episodes, which allowed them to take on multiple roles and situations. And kind of different from our past duos, Their um, the Carol Burnett show was a lot of skits. Uh, so they'd be, you know, trying on new costumes, being different characters and all that stuff. So there, there aren't a lot of similarities, but... It, as a comedian goes, they have a style, right? And almost every situation they found themselves in included some, phys- uh, some funny physical gag. For instance, in, in an intercom sketch that I um, watched to kind of get the gist, my mom has shown me uh, multiple episodes, but I needed a refresher. And uh, in the inter- intercom sketch, Carol Burnett is a ditzy secretary, but the catch is she's been doing her nails all day, so she can't use her hands. So uh, uh, the fun thing about doing comedy that's physical is I feel like you can laugh preemptively because you see the jokes coming before they happen. And I feel like that makes it ten times funnier. Uh, whereas word jokes, you're kind of trying to like keep up. If it's super smart, you're like, oh, where does this go? Um, and if it's super dumb, you obviously know what's going to happen, and it's blah. But if it's done nicely, you're like, oh, that that's, that's going to be funny. So, uh, obviously, it's called the intercom. She's the secretary at the desk. Her boss is in uh, the booth, uh, played by Tim Conway, and he's yelling at her to enter his office. But she's not answering because she doesn't know how to answer the machine without using her hands. So she's trying to use her elbow, trying to use her wrist. She puts a uh, pencil in between her wrists and tries to push the button, but she just can't figure it out. So he he comes outside for her and he's like, did you not hear me? And she's like, uh, I I did. I just don't know how to press the button. And he's like, well, I want you to come into my office. And she's like, okay. And he shuts the door behind him as he enters the office. And, like, immediately, when when you hear the sound of the door close, you're like, that's gonna be a problem. And, of course, she comes to the door, and she's trying to figure out how to open it, and she's, you know, putting her wrists up against it, she's, you know, putting her head on it and all that stuff, and then, finally, Tim Conway gets up, he opens it for her, and he asks if she'd like him to install a revolving door. And... I think the, the body language is definitely a thing. I think anybody who would like, and again, I would also even recommend the Carol Burnett show. I think it's it works in any time period, unlike some, some would be kind of aged and stuff because it's a skit show. I think it ages very well. Uh, but you know what Carol Burnett and her male co-stars for the most part didn't play at is romantic comedy. Sure, there were some romantic sketches played for laughs, but they looked like siblings bickering and, uh, and going at it, which I think adds to the fun of it. I think it's uh, slightly different from what you would typically expect anything with a male and female to be. But meanwhile, a duo like Adam Sandler and Drew Barrymore play into just that, the romantic comedy. In, um, surprisingly, all three of their movies together, I think maybe I was confusing Drew Barrymore and Jennifer Aniston. I really thought Adam Sandler did a lot more movies with Drew, but it's only been three. 51st uh, Dates, Wedding Singer, and uh, The the Blended Movie. I always want to say The Blending Movie, but I'm, I, I think it's called The Blended Movie. Uh, this was suggested by my Uncle Joe and Aunt Shelley, which, by the way, if you two are listening to this, I'm kind of wondering if there's a, if there's a reason why you chose these two. I don't know if you think... Your relationship mirrors these two, but there might be some some similarities there. Uh, Adam Sandler, always the goofy slapstick gag guy, is truly the most unexpectedly wonderful castmate for Drew Barrymore. Um, Typically, a romantic comedy is heavy on the romance and light on the comedy, Uh, and when it is funny, it mostly borders on heavy cringe, especially, again... I don't think uh, romantic comedies can age very well. Some of them do, but I think some of them can be, you know, movies of their time. And you watch them again, you're like, ooh, that was a, what are those jokes? Or something like that. And you're like, ugh. Um, But Drew Barrymore herself is not a typical romance girl that you might find in uh, uh, Sarah Jessica Parker or a Cameron Diaz or or a J-Lo uh, even though, I, here's the thing, I don't think j is really an actress, but she's been in romantic comedies, so we'll throw her in. Uh, she seems like a normal person, Drew Barrymore. Uh, she seems like a normal person who is faced with a crazy, whacked-out Adam Sandler. Like, Adam Sandler, you could maybe say, is a little more dramatic in their three movies together, but he's still his goofy self, because, you know, that's what makes him money. That's what people want out of Adam Sandler, so he gives it to him. He's he's not as whacked out as he has been recently, but that's what she's acting alongside. So you might assume, hmm, dramatic Drew Barrymore and whacked out Adam Sandler. How does this work? The reason why it's so enjoyable, for me at least, is that she embraces his weirdness, and that's kind of their shtick right in the wedding singer he's he's a loser i would in my in my uh, dialogue script i said kind of a loser i'm going to edit that he's definitely a loser he's hanging out with old ladies and he's trying to get over his losing his girlfriend he's an actual wedding singer he's a loser but she still falls in love with him anyway uh, maybe you could attribute that to her boyfriend being a dirtbag and him just being a decent person it's still strange. But we're talking about comedy, not romance. If I were talking about, you know, why this is an exciting romance film, I could get on- onto that. But we're talking strictly comedy here, so I'm going to get back on topic. Why are they so fun to watch? I think it's the fact that their romantic relationships include constantly one-upping one another in comedic situations. Um, uh, being around married couples... Uh, I think you can pick up on it, or I guess, of course, if you're in a married situation, uh, you you see those that constantly, like, hey, I'm going to do this. Oh, well, screw you. I'm going to do this and make you look bad. And uh, it's that fun flirtiness that you see in a relationship, and it's relatable and funny. Maybe they go hand in hand. Uh, but in... Uh, Adam Sandler and Drew Barrymore's case, we need only look at Fifty First Dates for an example. In the middle-ish portion of the movie, Adam Sandler has a compilation of attempts to talk to Drew Barrymore on the side of the road. Uh, A little backup information, he's been told that he can't talk to her at this point, at a, um, a diner area, so he thinks that by meeting her out in the road, he's not technically breaking any rules, so he's trying to come up with different gags and skits to get her attention, to get her to talk to him, and, uh, one specific attempt includes her jump-starting his car, so he's just out there, and he's like, hey, I'm stuck out here, can you please jump-start my car, and she's like, sure, sure, and when he hooks up the cables, he pretends to be uh, electrocuted and she starts screaming he starts screaming and then he stops screaming he's like oh I got you and she starts you know crying and she goes my grandfather died trying to jumpstart a car and he, he, he immediately regrets everything. He's like, oh, I'm sorry. But then she, she jumps right out of it and she's like, got you. And it's that back and forth thing. That again, I can't do justice because I'm by myself here. But you get the gist. It's a lot of back and forth comedy and relationship and it's endearing. And I think you get a lot of giggles out of it. Uh, and I think that's what makes it entertaining, at least for me and uh this leads to my favorite comedy duo it's around it's it's about that time let's talk about simon pegg and nick frost yes they are a british comedy duo which gives it a bit of a niche vibe um because you know the the british humor especially i mean you want to just look at the british version of the office versus the american version of the office uh British humor it tends to be more cutting and dry, uh, which is definitely not typically what you see in American comedy, so it, it takes a little getting used to, I guess. But for me, what th- this duo does is that typically they bring back that old, wordy, smart humor found in comedies of old. Uh, the people that like Blazing Saddles. Again, the people... Um, even we t- want to talk about the duos in our episode here, Abbott and Costello... Uh, the, those types that kind of make you laugh through words that we typically, we're not seeing a lot of nowadays. We're seeing, again, you get the Adam Sandlers who just make funny faces, uh, Will Ferrell who just does strange things in most of his movies and is in weird situations, uh, but on top of the, the wordy, smart humor, they still include funny slapstick gags as well. So you get the best of both worlds, and I think that's just about perfect. Plus, I think the two of them are very dynamic as a duo. In Hot Fuzz, the second major movie that they did together, I believe, uh, Simon Pegg plays the dramatic cop, while Nick Frost plays the dumb sidekick. But in World's End another movie that they did together, Simon Pegg plays the bum, while Nick Frost plays the dramatic role. This way, you never feel like it's going to get stale watching them, i.e. the Three Stooges, which, all right, uh, (laughs) I did write this down, and I mentioned, you know, oh, the Three Stooges can get stale. It's possible that maybe I'm being a little harsh, but I... I think of the Three Stooges in the same way I think of Tom and Jerry. It's just the same situations over and over again, and they're always in the same roles, and it can just get tiring. I guess it can. it's simple in a way that it's easy to understand and follow, but I wouldn't like continue to watch episode after episode. I might watch one and then be done. Whereas with this duo, they're so dynamic in the roles that they uh, can portray that it's still interesting, even if you just watch movie after movie. Um, I also appreciate their relationship in film. Uh, Many of the previously named duos clearly spend a lot of time together, but spend more time bringing the other down or watching the other fail. That's um, how they kind of get their comedy out of it. Uh, For instance, Seth Rogen and James Franco. It's a lot of, like, kicking the other while he's down, and then when the other one falls down, you kick him... um, whereas these two typically are in films or shows about friendship and building the other up. Shaun of the Dead, a zombie movie, ends with Simon Pegg's character still taking care of his friend Nick Frost, despite him being turned into a zombie. Now, if that ain't the bestest friend ever, I don't know what is. With this camaraderie comes a different set of jokes. While Always Sunny is funny because the group is always trying to see how they can get the others to trip up, Um, as, you know, I've mentioned with Mac and Dennis, Simon Pegg and Nick Frost are trying to get through, uh, so far a zombie apocalypse, an evil cult takeover, um, an alien takeover, and I guess another alien takeover. They they, they actually have a new show that's also about an alien takeover, or maybe ghosts. They haven't really clarified that yet, but they've had at least, uh a zombie apocalypse, evil cult, two alien takeovers, and one possible alien or ghost takeover. So you get a, uh, a comedy where the two of them are, are not reacting to the other failing. I mean, uh, of course, you know, situations pop up where that might happen, like somebody might trip and you might laugh at them. But overall... They're more reacting together to the crazy things that take place around them, so it's less of "oh, you fell down, ha ha ha," and more like "holy crap, this guy just got bit by a zombie." Let's freak out together, and it's it's a different mood that it puts you in, and um, I guess it, you might you might. Find it more enjoyable to watch. I think some a lot of people find Always Sunny to be a little too graphic in many ways and a little too cutting in their humor. Whereas I think this type of humor is a little more um, encouraging and nice. Uh, so uh, an example in the World's End movie, they um, alongside their friends. the The plot of the movie is basically uh, Simon Pegg uh, wants to return to his hometown and do a pub crawl that they failed at when they were young. And so he gets the band back together, including Nick Frost, and they start the pub crawl. Except they're not kids anymore, they're like 50 now. And uh, he kind of tricks them into going, so they they already don't want to go, but then midway through the pub crawl, they start to realize that the town's not the same anymore, that the town has actually been taken over by aliens. Which was not what most people were expecting when they probably watched this movie, uh, but here's the the sitch here is that they can't leave the town now because they can't raise suspicion. So the whole town knows that they're in, uh, that they've come to do this pub crawl. So they gotta complete the pub crawl. So they keep going, uh, which. Creates this new well creates basically a compilation of scenes where they're kind of walking in pace together uh, To the tune of a song while all these robots are just staring at them with blank stares and kind of funny expressions And they all just have to act like they're okay Which also includes acting drunk because obviously they're doing a pub crawl it has to affect you So they're kind of like bumping into each other. It's very funny. Um, I think, and I think there's a lot of that little, uh, s- little humor throughout the movie on top of the big jokes that I can appreciate, and I think a lot of people can appreciate in most of their movies. Um, so yeah, I'll say, on top of Simon Pegg and Nick Frost, though, I was going to do a dark horse of Chris Tucker and Jackie Chan, okay? I'm not going to talk a lot about them, but I felt like I had to at least bring them up because nobody else did. I was surprised. their dynamic is wonderful, I mean, they don't make 10 rush hours for no reason, and I hear they're gonna make another rush hour, so this is, uh, January 21st, 2021, uh, you know, teaser, rush hour, I don't even know, seven, whatever, is coming soon, uh, but Chris Tucker and Jackie Chan, (laughs) besides that, Chris Tucker and Jackie Chan actually have a very, um, interesting relationship themselves. Again, I really don't want to go too too off topic, but I think what they add that the other ones don't have is it's almost just as dynamic as Simon Pegg and Nick Frost, because Jackie Chan is the serious one, Chris Tucker's, you know, the wild card, but Jackie Chan is also typically in America, and he doesn't speak English very well, he's trying to learn the culture, so there can be moments where he has his uh, quirky, dumb moment, and Chris Tucker has to teach him. Uh, but yeah, so, Dark Horse, Chris Tucker and Jackie Chan. Of course, you should you should have seen one Rush Hour movie in your life. But the way that Simon Pegg and Nick Frost are able to do verbal and physical comedy, dumb and smart, with a highlight on them not tearing the other down but trying to save the other, creates a dynamic I think few other comedy duos have been able to create. And that is my take. So that's all I got for this episode. Thank you to those who tuned in. Feel free to follow me on my Instagram or my Facebook page at film.talksofficial. Before I cut this off, I just wanna say Grammy, I told you we were gonna get you in an episode with with an actual suggestion and we did it. I kinda knew you were gonna say Abbott and Costello and I'm kind of curious uh, what you meant by there's a duo on the radio. I don't know how I would be able to hear that duo, but if you told me, I would look it up. Beyond that, uh, if any, any of you have been on my Facebook page, a film.talks Official," and my Instagram, actually, uh, you were able to see that I am going to be filming a Film Talks Battle. Now, uh, what is the Film Talks Battle? Let me give you a little brief... Of course, I'll be doing this for the actual Film Talks battle, but I'll give you a little teaser. So my friend Will and my friend John from college have agreed to have a little debate off. And so I've given them five questions or so that you were able to vote on yourselves on my story. And uh, so they've they've done some prep work, and they're going to go toe-to-toe on each topic. Then I'm going to say what you guys thought was the right answer, and then... I'm going to pick a winner for every topic and then we get to the end and I pick the grand winner of the Film Talk Battle. So Film Talk Battle, essentially it's just a film debate uh, for any of you who are confused. But I'm very excited about this. It'll be available on the YouTube page, which is uh, titled Film Talks. And of course, it'll be available on all of my uh, previous music streaming and podcast streaming uh Uh, devices. Uh, So I look forward to uh, sharing this with you. And um, again, uh, I encourage you all to check out my Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube page and comment on my posts. (laughs) I, I try to post each week, giving you a little teaser of what's to come, Uh, so I can get a little feel of if you guys are excited for it and if you guys want more of the same content. Uh, Same goes for my YouTube page. If you comment, like, subscribe, do all the, the crap that everybody tells you to do at the end of a YouTube video, that would always be appreciated. I look forward to hearing your future comments on, again, my Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube page. I hope you all have a great week. So long.